You're listening to the Bold Face Truth Podcast with Amy Green Smith, episode 437. You can find information on anything referenced in this week's episode at amygreensmith.com slash EP437. there. Check you out listening to self-help pods and working on yourself. Fuck yeah. Quick question. You know those situations where your boss asks you to take on one more thing or your partner asks what's bothering you and you respond with a bold-faced lie? Oops. What would shift for you if you actually started telling the bold-faced truth? Everything. Listen, if you struggle with people-pleasing, perfectionism, and you could use some help with boundaries or speaking up, you are in the right place. Thank God. I am Amy Green-Smith. I'm a certified and credentialed life coach, hypnotherapist, and keynote speaker. Fancy. And I've been working in the personal development space since the mid-2000s. Vintage. Sometimes I'll be solo, other times you'll hear from smart folks offering you easy-to-implement tools to help you tell the bold-faced truth. Yes! Well, hello, y'all. I hope you are doing well. I certainly am, and I am thrilled to be continuing on with our mini-series of sorts on body image. So if you did not catch last week, I highly suggest that you do so. I dialed up Dr. Lexi Kite, who is just absolutely brilliant and has written a book that I think is possibly one of the most important books for, especially for women, because of what it addresses around beauty standards. And I think that episode is packed. So please don't miss that. And then next week, I'm going to be talking specifically about body image and things that we can say and do to help us really cater to a more positive sense of self-image and how we view ourselves around beauty and and all of those things. So I'm going to be looking at what are some of the tangible tactical tools that we can do? Like, what do I do about this if I have such a a precarious relationship with my body or my skin or food or whatever it is? Like, what can I actually start doing differently? And then we're going to talk a little bit about what to say to people who are well-meaning or, you know, are still stuck in a lot of diet culture. Like, what do we say about that? What do we say to them? So stay tuned for that next week. But this week, I'm going to try to catch my dear friend, Summer Inanen. Let me tell you a little bit about her in hopes that we are able to get her on the line. So she is a coach who is trained specifically around body image, self-worth, and confidence. And she's helped people all over the world stop living behind the numbers on their scales. Hello. And she does this through private and group coaching. And you can find out more about her at summerinnin.com. The her last name is spelled I-N-N-A-N-E-N. And summer just like the season. So summerinnin.com. She is the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. I think a lot of us could use a little remix in the body image department. She also hosts the podcast Eat the Rules, which I fucking love. And she is the creator of You on Fire, which is an online group coaching program dedicated to helping people get free from body shame. She also co-runs the Body Image Coach Certification Program 
that is specifically for helping anti-diet professionals learn to work with clients specifically around body image. So she has just a wealth of knowledge and information to share with us. So let's give her a ring and see what she has to say. Hello? Hey, Summer, it's Amy. How are you? Hey, Amy, I'm good. How are you? I'm awesome. So listen, I'm hanging out over here with the audience. We've been talking about body image stuff. And I thought I've got to call up my girl, Summer. She knows all about this, has gone through all of the things. And I love your teaching around it. So I was curious if you had a little bit of time, you could share some of your thoughts with, uh, with our peeps. Yeah. You know, I just, I just, I literally just finished categorizing all the different pastas I have in <laughs> alphabetical order. And I am so glad you caught me. Cause I literally just finished with ZT and I was like, okay, we're, we're good. So I totally have time. Let's do this. <laughs> So, okay. So my question is, did you pee touch everything? Are they like perfectly labeled or they just are in order? You know, they're in order, but facing out, like, you know how some people do that with library book, like they've got yes. books, like they've got these like color coded, gorgeous <laughs> bookshelves. I do that with my pasta cupboard. And so, <laughs> you know, it's like facing out all the different shapes, alphabetical order. You know, I've, I've got a little bit of Italian heritage in me. So it's, it's how I how I own that. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. So uh, before, before we kind of jump into everything, I would love to, in fact, I don't even know if I know this story super in depth of what your particular journey was. Like, how did you end up really advocating for kind of this anti-diet, let's see things in a different way perspective? What's your process? Sure. So, I mean, my story is probably similar to a lot of other women. I grew up never really feeling good in my body. I grew up in, in the eighties and nineties, which I think were like particularly harsh yeah. on, on, on women's bodies. And there were a lot of different influences, like obviously the media, my mom was a chronic dieter. I was bullied a lot for my body as well when I was growing up. And so, you know, from a really early age, I can remember just like hating my body, like feeling like there was something wrong with my body that drove me to start to dabble with, with dieting. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did that through my teenage years and into my twenties, it started to get more intense. And in particular, I had a really disordered relationship with exercise that was okay. sort of like my main coping mechanism, if you will, because the dieting thing was hard for me. I was always on like that restrict binge cycle. Mm -hmm. Like I could maintain something for, you know, like Monday to Thursday. And then like everything was just out the window on the weekends. And so exercise was something that I always felt like I had more control over, even though like I had no control over anything. <laughs> like right. It was just, you know, my body was just responding to what it responds to when you're a chronic dieter, but it really led me down like a pretty disordered path in hindsight. Uh, I thought everything I was doing was in the name of health. Like I really did think I was, I was healthy. And I actually went back to school to become a nutritionist because I was so obsessed with health. It was through that time period, like around the time I finished nutrition school and I was starting to work with people 
Um, at that time I was coaching people around weight loss, unfortunately, cause I didn't know better, but I was coaching people around weight loss and I started to go through my own personal struggles where all of the damage that I had done by chronically dieting and over-exercising, it started to take a toll on my health. I didn't have a period and I went to, I finally, I went to see a bunch of different doctors who weren't particularly concerned uh, because I wasn't super skinny. And I finally found a naturopathic doctor who tested all my hormones and was like, Summer, you have the hormones of a postmenopausal woman and this woman. And this was at the age of like 30 or 32, I think it was. It was a huge wake up call for me because I honestly thought everything I was doing was healthy. It was like, I was just following all the sort of rules. And even though I was obsessed with it, I really thought that that was all, these were all the things I should do. And I really, truly believe that like my body should look different than it did. Even though now I know that body diversity is real and not everybody is meant to look the same, but, and so that kind of set me on this process of, of really healing. And I ultimately discovered intuitive eating. And through that process, I remember um, stumbling upon a podcast at the time that was really talking about body image. And um, it introduced me to this book called when women stop hating their bodies. And that sort of like really blew everything Mm -hmm. up for me. And I realized that the, um, the, the, the root of all of the, my issues was how I felt about my body. Um, my struggles with food, my struggles with how I felt about myself, all of it had to do with how I felt in my body. And underneath that was the fact that I valued myself based on how I looked and how others perceived me. And so my worth was completely, my self-worth was completely hinged on how I looked. I did a lot of work around that to, to, you know, heal my relationship with food, heal my relationship with exercise, heal my relationship with my body and get to a place where I just don't really think about my body so much anymore. Also obviously shifted how I worked with people because I kept seeing the same pattern over and over when I was a nutritionist. I kept seeing just people coming in that were really, you know, binging on food, couldn't figure out why, getting really frustrated when their weight wouldn't change. And it was just the same pattern. It was the same thing that I had experienced. They were stuck in the same cycle. And I realized that like the issue is not the individual. The issue is like this cultural belief that like, we're all just meant to look a certain way if we, you know, eat this and move our body this way, but that's not how it works. Like biologically, we're not meant to all look the same. And so, um, that helped me to then shift how I worked with people as well. And so went back and took a couple of different life coaching courses and really decided to dedicate myself to helping people with the body image piece of the puzzle and particularly just helping them to really cultivate this belief that, you know, they're good enough regardless of how they look and help people around just feeling confident in who they are, regardless of, regardless of their size. And um, it's, it's so much more rewarding because the change is long lasting. It's not like, the initial kind of hit you get when you're like, quote unquote, successful with a diet. It's like, this is actually less. <laughs> this is actually good for yeah. the long term. I'm curious. I, I've done a handful. Well, I did one that I can think of episode ages ago around body image that I ended up pulling because when I started really learning about things and started really understanding, I, I was kind of ashamed and felt so guilty of spreading such misinformation. And I have to be really compassionate with myself. And and I'm sure you can attest to this too, that really what we're fed around body image and around really what health means 
it, ha- it has been incredibly whitewashed, first of all, cloaked in privilege, also has so much to do with male anatomy versus, or, you know, as a sign male at birth or versus what we go through as females, like most exercise is geared towards, you know, how male bodies respond to exercise and just all untangling all of those things, noticing how racism affects it, right? Just all sorts of different intersections of of uh, injustice around this particular issue. And I'm curious if you just from like a practitioner standpoint, did you have to go through anything of like forgiving yourself for sharing information that you now have deemed detrimental? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure some of it exists online. Like I, I, I mean, I, maybe one day I'll really try, but I also try because I, I know that people ultimately might find me and then find what I'm about now too. So, um, Mm. like there's, you know, there's stuff that's probably still out there from many, many years ago that I like maybe said on Facebook or like my really first blog, my first like free blog that I did that wasn't even under my, my name. Um, but you know, it's, it's like, I think that we all have to give ourselves permission to to learn and grow. Like there's no end point in that. Like I'm always trying to do better. And so I try to, yeah, just be compassionate with myself and really focus on the fact that like my intentions are in the right place. And like, I'm really living in alignment with values that are, that are better for me now. And, um, so long as I'm honoring those, like, I think that, yeah, we have to forgive ourselves for, for those things. Cause no one's perfect. We didn't know, like, you don't know what you don't know. Right. That's and right. I, similar to you, like I when, even when I first started doing body image, it was very much like from an individual perspective and it didn't have that social justice lens. And that was something that I learned, um, over the course of like, just, a, you know, a couple, a couple of years of starting sure. to really, um, you know, follow more fat activists and have them on my podcast and read the books and all that stuff and take trainings. Um, but you, you don't know what you don't know. And right. I think that like people in this field, like you and I coaches and other, you know, healers or practitioners, we can be really hard on ourselves or hold ourselves to this huge standard of perfection, but that's really just feeding into that system in the first place. I think, I think that so long as you can kind of, you know, acknowledge where you went wrong, apologize for it and try to try to do better. Like that's, that's the best that we can do. That's right. It's when you, when you know better, you do better. So I'm curious about this concept of liking the way you look. It's interesting. I was talking about this with uh, Dr. Lexi Kite last week. And we were talking about how there's a lot of ways in which sort of the body positivity movement kind of get it wrong. And, and both her and her sister, Lindsay, in their book, talk about like the Dove beauty campaigns, for example, Mm -hmm. where the focus is around everybody being beautiful, which, which is actually kind of covert body negativity because we're still putting so much focus on a body being beautiful for consumption, right? That it's still this, this actual image that we need to see as beautiful, like that anything other than beautiful is problematic. So let's expand our 
expand our viewpoint of, of beauty. And I had a friend of mine who I did theater with, and he was a fat individual and he shared with me a, a meme or a post or something at some point where he was like, I am the fat, the fat, ugly friend, and I'm okay with it. Like we don't all need to be, we don't need to all fit into some ridiculous lens that beauty is the end all be all. And that we need to be palatable visually for everybody to consume. So I'm, I'm curious about that because I know you've talked about it, making it actually harder for us to really accept ourselves because we keep focusing on, I've got to like the way I've got to like the way I look. Uh, 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 uh. So talk to me a little bit about that because in my head, I go, how the fuck can I not care what I look like? <laughs> Well, I think there's a difference, right? Like it doesn't have to be the extreme. Like, I think it's like, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> <laughs> you mean it's not all or nothing. That's all I know how to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's, here's the thing, right? Like I, let me just quickly nip that one in the bud. Like, I think ultimately what we want, what I want for people is to be able to like cele- celebrate and decorate their body in a way that feels good for them. Right. So if you like it, that's great if it but I also just don't want it to to like shatter shatter you emotionally if you don't like it like I think that that's ultimately what we want like it's that when I have a client that comes to me and they're like Summer I saw a picture of myself and I didn't like it and I was okay like that's kind of the end point that I think is a really great place to be because we're gonna have days where we don't like the way we look or where we do like the way we look But if we're hinging like how we are measuring our whole selves against that, then that's where it starts to become a bit of a tricky um, place because we're letting it say like, okay, this is how I'm going to feel about myself today instead of this thing doesn't have power over me. If you think about something that you don't like about yourself, like let's just say that like you're not a good parallel parker. And coincidentally, I am actually a really good parallel parker. It's one of my hidden talents. But let's just say that I- Girl, same. (laughs) let's just say like you or I weren't right that wouldn't dictate how we feel about ourselves as a whole so why is it that why can't our appearance just be some aspect of ourselves that is just kind of there right like more neutral but the problem with the expectation to like love your body I think is that like you said it's just it's this other expectation and I have people who come to me and they'll say Summer, I know I should love my body or I know I should, you know, like the way my stomach looks. And I'm like, no, that's another should, right? Like that's another expectation. Why can't we just accept that maybe we don't like it and try to comfort ourselves, be with ourselves and know that we're going to be okay, regardless of how, you know, we feel about our stomach. And the other, I think, issue is that it just, it really keeps the focus on, on the appearance. Like it keeps the focus on being desirable because I think when we talk about, liking the way we look, that's typically from sort of the outside lens, right? Like I know that Lexi and Lindsay, like they always talk about like this idea of like self-objectification, right? And so that's sort of the, the other issue with it is that like when we talk about liking the way we look, I think there's a difference between like you actually liking the way you look or are you kind of liking like sort of the perceived judgment of how you look? Like there's, there's a, there's a very small, like it's a big difference, but it's a subtle sort of, you know, way of phrasing it. It's like, do you like the way you look or do you like the judgments of how you look? And I think that it's about kind of separating those things and and abandoning this idea that I have to, you know, like the the, the judgment of, of how I look and a hundred percent, we need, we need more representation. Like we need to see bodies. So like, I 
think that there's the body positivity movement has done really great things in the way of increased representation. Um, but I think that, yeah, in some regards, like it's still perceived as like, we just need to love our stomachs or we need to love our cellulite. And I just, I think that that's pretty shallow and doesn't really lead to the change that we want to see. Cause we don't tell men to do that. Um, and I know I'm talking in the gender binary there, but you know, sure. we're not telling men to love their bellies or their cellulite. Like we, you know, and so why are we, why are we doing that with, with women? And again, apologies for keeping it in the gender binary, but that's how the media sort of looks at things at this point in time. And, you know, we, we know why we know why we do that with women, because the whole value placed on women has, again, in the, in the binary terms, it has always been to be viewed or to be, I mean, quite literally bought and traded for marital arrangements. In fact, I recently heard, I, this was, you know, one of those, I was today years old when I learned that the veils that we wear when we get married were because they didn't, for arranged marriages, they didn't want to see if the person was not attractive. And it was like, surprise, here's who I am. But I'm like, yeah, there's so much focus on, first of all, there's so much to unpack with that and how fucked up that is and agency or autonomy on, on a woman's behalf to say who she's going to marry is problematic to begin with. But I, I'm curious with this idea of, I mean, it's kind of blowing my mind a little bit to be like, oh, you don't actually have to like your belly. (laughs) You don't have to like your cellulite or whatever. I mean, that feels kind of liberating to me, but I can also see how people could go off the deep end and go, oh, okay. So freedom to talk shit to myself or freedom to be like, oh, you're so disgusting or you're so gross. And I don't think that's what we're saying here. We're just saying, don't like it and then move on. It's like if you were sitting at a dinner table and and somebody said, oh, here, do you want some of this octopus? And you're like, ew, no, I don't like that. You don't sit there and fucking ruminate about octopus for the rest of the day and think about how gross it is and how nasty and I hate you and I hate octopus and why are you ruining it? You just you just go, oh, I'm not a fan and you fucking move on with your life. Is that, I'm, That's what I'm kind of hearing you say. That's such a good analogy. <laughs> I never thought about it that way, but that is so true. But yeah, I think and I think it's just like, it's really about cultivating an attitude of acceptance, like accepting that maybe you don't, you don't like it one day. And I think it's just like the way we feel about ourselves varies, but like also like, well, let's try to stop compartmentalizing ourselves into body parts to represent the whole of who we are. Like, I, I think that's like really what we want to get away from. Right. And okay. so, you know, it's like, yeah, maybe you, you, you don't like your stomach, but it's, can you accept that, you know, you just, you don't like it today and move on? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But can you also, if there's a deeper emotion there, you know, like if there's feelings around it, if there's shame or embarrassment or something else, like, can you acknowledge those feelings and be really compassionate with yourself in order to change that narrative as well? Um, It may not necessarily make you like your stomach, but it might help you just be more like neutral or accepting towards it. So I think that there's sometimes opportunity to just say, okay, I don't like it, move on. And there's also opportunities to, to really, you know, be real with the feelings that we have, because 
so many of us are holding feelings like shame or disgust or whatever. And I don't think that those things are to be ignored. I think that, you know, we can, we can acknowledge those things. And that's really how we can start to heal this whole puzzle is by starting to notice more of like those feelings that are there instead of the, the narrative that we've learned from diet culture, which is like, oh, this is gross. What does this say about me? Like instead, like just, okay, I'm having a moment where I'm feeling embarrassed or I'm having a moment where I'm feeling shame. Um, and how can I then, you know, be really self-compassionate with myself in that moment in order to, you know, in order to be able to move forward without that, you know, without that cruelty and rumination that, you know, tends to happen when our inner critic starts going off. And I, I think this is a really great point. And if I'm, tell me if I'm sizing this up correctly, I, I think so much of our personal development, whether it's related to money or, you know, our worthiness or our body or whatever it is, is about continuing to engage with disempowering beliefs or negative self-talk or whatever it is in each moment and choosing a different path that we don't necessarily get to. I've heard you talk about this with regards to confidence. And, and I totally concur because I, I don't think we ever get to a place where, okay, I love my body all the time in every picture, in every instance, I feel powerful in my body all the fucking time. It's not that it's engaging with your body every single day and analyzing what's being called for in order for you to feel more powerful or secure. Is that a fair kind of synopsis or what would you add? Yeah. Like, I think that we, you know, like the way we feel about our, ourselves varies every, every day. And I think that thinking that you're going to love your body or love yourself or feel good every day is just, I mean, that's toxic positivity, right? Like that's, that's not helpful at all. And so I think it's about really recognizing that, you know, there's going to be parts of you that you don't like parts of you that feel you feel neutral about you're going to have days where you're like a hot mess and you're going to have days where you feel pretty good and like it's like how do you show up for yourself every day you know like how do you kind of tune into like what do I need today emotionally or what do I need physically to 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 tend to my needs whatever those are maybe that's like today I need more rest today I need to you know call a friend to talk about something or today I'm feeling really good so I'm going to like really you know work on this project or you know, go and do this challenging hike or whatever it is. But I think it's just about like seeing ourselves as these whole messy human beings and, and like tuning in to what you need in a particular moment or time and not looking at it like this static linear process where, you know, if you have a bad day, it means that you're failing at this or, you know, right. that there's something wrong with you because that's the that's the farthest thing from the truth. And I really, I do hear that even from people who've been following me for a long time and probably have heard me say this. If you have a bad body day, like it doesn't mean that you're failing at this work. It means that you're human. Like we we all have days where we feel really lousy about ourselves. Like I certainly do not, not necessarily so much about my body anymore, but about myself, which sometimes I think is even worse. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's the other thing too, I think is when we, when you start to dive into body image work, you realize that like body shame is often a coping mechanism. Like it's, it's often a way that we kind of distract ourselves from other things that are going on underneath because it feels like something we can fix. Um, And so that's, I mean, that's a whole other sort of topic, but I think that it's just important to recognize that 
you know, it's just, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be linear and it's okay to, you know, to feel lousy sometimes, but knowing how to like unpack that can really help you become a lot more resilient in those moments. So I, the thing that's coming up for me as we're discussing this is I'm, I'm thinking about, and this is probably complete car, uh, compartmentalization. I find that I can get so on board with loving my body for what it does. Like I can be so grateful that it breathes and that it gets me through a workout or that my legs carry me up the stairs or, you know, that my ears allow me to listen to hypnotherapy or whatever it is. But I really separate that immediately when I look in the mirror and I get like, ah, uh, and, and, and I can so relate to looking at photos and being like, it, either looking at photos from the past being like, oh my God, I looked so much better then, or looking at pictures now and being like, oh my God, what happened? <laughs> you know? And, and so I'm kind of loving what you're saying about just, okay. Okay. And then fucking move on. You know, it's like, it's the whole octopus thing. So I'm curious if you have any, any thoughts on that of like, I, I feel like I can genuinely say I love my body, but not all of it. Right. Like I, I, obviously I'm having an issue with image, like how I'm viewing myself and, and I, I have never, and this is total thin privilege, uh, I've never had to deal with bullying. I've never had any family or anybody say like, whoa, ooh, that's, you're getting a little, little chubby, even though for me, it feels significant. So it's all coming from an internal narrative, which I also recognize is a privilege to not have to move in a world that is highly critical of what you were looking like all the time. Do you have any thoughts on that as far as, am I telling myself a tall tale that I really do love my body. If I still am not happy with what it looks like sometimes, like, I don't know, I, maybe I'm asking for personal coaching here. <laughs> no, I was going to ask you, like, what does loving your body mean to you? I think that's the, that's the question, right? Because it's like, that could mean something different to everybody. This is the best way that I can kind of size it up is I, and I'm not a mom. I know that you are. I feel like I view my body how I think many women probably view their children, where it's like, you never stop loving them. You never, that never stops. Like you still absolutely love your child. And there are times when you're like, I wish you wouldn't have taken crayons to the wall, you know? And then like, there's a different emotion in the immediacy of like, oh my God, I can't believe you thought that was a good place for Cheerios or, you know, like whatever, <laughs> whatever. And so you, there's these fleeting emotions that come in and out. That's kind of how I view it. Although I have to say that it's been heavier on the, on the dislike. So I, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's a tough thing. Like love, like the notion of like love is, I think is different. Like, I think it's like, you know, if you think about love, I think often we think about kind of like that, like that really kind of almost like euphoric feeling that we get when we 
you know, when you're in like the honeymoon phase of a relationship or when you like have like the cutest dog or something and you're just like, oh, like, and so versus like the actual act of loving somebody where you are showing up for them, even when they're at their worst and, you know, you're being kind, you're being respectful, you're being compassionate, you're trusting. So I think it's kind of like separating those two things and looking at like, you know, looking at love as more of of a practice, a relationship that we have with our bodies versus like this outcome of a particular feeling. And so I don't know if that resonates or if that feels in alignment with your experience with it. I think the feelings will kind of vary because some days you're just going to be frustrated. Like there are things that my body does do does that really frustrate me from a health perspective. I hate that about it, but the loving sure. relationship part is like, got to be really compassionate and gentle with myself and like slow down on those days when I'm experiencing that stuff. It's uh, related to my period, but it's um, <laughs> besides the point, but like that, that's sort of what, that's sort of the difference there versus like looking for this outcome of like having that, like, like almost, you know, infatuation, euphoric sensation that you get when you're like in love with somebody. That's interesting to think about what do I imagine a positive or a loving relationship with my body feels like. And and it's not, you know, it's not dissimilar to sort of the notions that we have around intimate partnerships. You know, I think about some of the most meaningful and actions of love that I have with my husband are sometimes just going to Costco. You know, they're, they aren't necessarily these huge romantic, you know, the, the, with the candles burning and, you know, heat of passion, like that's not always, and I would say more infrequently, is that the way that love shows up? So why wouldn't that be the case for our love towards our bodies too? So that that's that's interesting. It gives me a lot to think about. So before we continue on, I wanted to ask a quick favor from you. Do you ever listen to the pod, and I think this might happen for you, where you think, damn, I really wish so-and-so could hear this. Maybe it's your coworker who could actually use a lesson or two on boundaries or Maybe it is a women's group that you're a part of where everyone is super on board for speaking up for themselves, but nobody really knows what that really sounds like. Okay, where here's where you come in. I have three battle-tested and badass keynote speeches that are ready to be delivered to your company, organization, group, association. So if you your community or anyone you know could benefit from me rocking the mic, like who couldn't use some new tools, right? Please send them over to amygreensmith.com slash speaking, where you or they can message me directly about specific needs for the audience. Shocker, the three keynotes are focused around speaking up, contending with fear and accessing enoughness. And all three of them can be delivered either in person or virtually. And of course, can be completely customized for specific audience needs. So again, simply send them to amygreensmith.com speaking, where they can get in touch with me. Because listen, it is time 
that women everywhere have the tools necessary to use their voice, take up space, and advocate for their wants, needs, and opinions, like yesterday. And if you end up orchestrating an opportunity for me to speak with your group, you will officially get unlimited squeezes from me. (laughs) And I'm sure you're all in now. And be sure to let them know that I can always temper my colorful language if needed. And thank you. I wanted to take a quick moment to thank Let's Get Checked for sponsoring this podcast. Let's Get Checked makes professional health testing super easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. Well, testing for what, you might ask? Well, they have a huge array of at-home testing kits, including women's health, men's health, sexual health, and wellness kits. In fact, I did two of the women's hormone testing kits. And it could not have been easier. And then when I received the results, I was able to simply forward them onto my naturopath to get her thoughts. All you do is you simply choose your test online. It will be delivered to you in discreet packaging with next day delivery. And then once your sample arrives in the lab, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. Once your results are available, they'll be reviewed by a physician, and then a nurse will contact you for a consultation over the phone. And in some cases, a physician will be able to provide prescriptions to the pharmacy of your choosing. Let's Get Checked laboratories are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. Let's Get Checked lets you avoid uncomfortable office visits by providing you with access to home testing and professional medical consultations without ever leaving your home. It has never been this simple to get tested. So get this. If you want to try a test from Let's Get Checked, all you got to do is go to trylgc.com slash bold truth to save a whopping 30% on your first test kit. 30%. Just use the code bold truth, all one word at checkout. That's bold truth to save 30% on your first test kit. Now let's jump back into today's topic. I'm curious if you can speak to this idea. And this is, I've heard this from so many folks. And I think this is really where we get it wrong. And we've been programmed to get it wrong around what health means. And this idea that what taking care of ourselves looks like. So if I'm no longer going to obsess about dieting or extreme exercise as almost like a body punishment, then I'm letting myself go. And how, how that's such a fallacy. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've learned the definition of taking care of ourselves from diet culture and, you know, from our patriarchal culture that, that really values, you know, discipline and kind of pushing yourself to the limits and, like, especially if we think about it from like a diet, like diet culture perspective, it's like, what do we celebrate? We celebrate, you know, when people don't eat something, we celebrate like people who eat less than others. We celebrate people who like work out way more than others. Um, You know, recently I saw this article that came up that said like these celebrities are so disciplined this is what they eat in a day and it was like showing like victoria beckham has eaten the same thing for 25 years 
she's eaten fish and vegetables. And like David Beckham said, like, I wish she would eat my meals. I'm like, by the way, David, call me, I'll eat your meals. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) but it's like, that's like, that's what our, you know, that's, that's where we've learned this idea of taking care of ourselves. And so I think it's just an important question to ask yourself is like, what, you know, what have I learned um, from our culture about taking care of myself? And then how do I want to redefine that for myself? Because if you think about like, even just asking yourself, like, what, what does taking care of myself mean? Like, I think to me, taking care of myself means like, you know, taking care of my emotional health, taking care of my mental health, you know, trying my best to make myself feel good physically, not being too hard on myself, being really compassionate, treating myself with respect. Like to me, that's taking care of myself because that's exactly how I would take care of my child. So why would I apply a different definition of taking care of myself to me versus somebody else? Like I would never apply the the lessons from diet culture to my child when I think about taking care of him. And so like this whole idea that like you're letting yourself go, like it couldn't be farther from the truth. Like you're actually really learning how to take care of yourself when you're no longer following the rules of, of diet culture, which involve, you know, like restricting and punishing yourself and deprivation and not honoring your hunger and denying yourself pleasure. And it's like denying yourself rest. Like how are those things taking care of ourselves? I think ultimately what comes down to is like, obviously we just honor thinness. And so that's, that's like Mm -hmm. what we've associated with taking care of ourselves. But if we actually think about taking care of ourselves, like I'd love everybody to think about it in a way of, you know, how you take care of somebody else in your life and what you offer to them. And can you apply those same principles to yourself? Because ultimately that's going to be a lot better for your health and well-being. Like you're, you're, it's going to be so much easier to, you know, add things to your life. If we're able to do it from this place of like, how do I want to treat myself today? That feels really good. Like that, like, what does my body actually need? What do I need emotionally? And how can I take care of those things? and tend to myself in a way that is going to actually be nourishing and feel good. So I've been looking at a lot of things through the lens of a lot of religious trauma and stuff that I experienced as a child. And I can't help but notice the emphasis on goodness, thinness, purity, but also the absence of pleasure, which was a huge message that I received growing up in sort of an evangelical born again, Christian family, things that were pleasurable were, I mean, of the devil, right? They were the devil's temptation, right? And I remember specifically, there was this phrase that my mom would say over and over again with kind of spite in her voice that the messages that we hear are, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do it. And how that's just laden with sin and blah, blah, blah. And the older I've gotten, I'm like, yeah, we should be chasing what feels good. We should be paying attention to what feels good. And I see this a lot come up obviously in the sexual arena, but also with food of you know, I'm bad at, well, also putting a moral code on food, which food is not morality and saying like, this one's bad or this one's good. And I'm bad if I ate that and really not permitting pleasure in that way. I'm curious if you see that at all, if you've seen any direct ties to religion 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert in that realm, but I can tell you from, you know, working with clients who've had similar sort of religious trauma or that kind of like, you know, like that sort of like cult or religious mentality that it definitely, there, there's definitely an intersection there, a hundred percent. I think if you actually look at some of the history of diet culture, it does have, it does have ties to that sort of like, you know, evangelical sort of like Christian world. And it definitely has like racist roots in it as well. Absolutely. And so all of that really translates into, yeah, like you got to deny, you got to deny yourself the things that feel good. You got to like abide by these rules and you should feel ashamed if you don't. And think these things are like morally good, morally superior. Yeah. Like you're a good person if you're doing these things. And we do, I mean, we see that, we see that play out in, in this culture. I mean, think about like, just, just on a, from a subtle perspective, like when you, when you have someone who orders a salad at lunch instead of a burger and everyone's like, oh, you're being so good. Or, um, you know, or like, you know, if I've had people say it to me, like if I have one bite of something and they're like, oh, you're so good. Like, and I, and meanwhile, I'm just like, no, it's actually because I give myself permission to eat anything anytime I want. So foods just aren't a big deal anymore, but oh, we put it up on the same sort of, of pedestal. And so, yeah, I'm sure there's people who have like written a bit more in depth about those, those intersections. Um, I do find it really interesting, but I think it does, if you've had that experience, I do think it, it makes it a little bit harder to, to kind of get, you know, give yourself permission to, to, you know, like enjoy things and really overcome that shame. There was someone who I had on my podcast, Joy Cox, she wrote this really great book called, um, fat girls and black bodies. Um, anyways, she talks Ooh. about her religious upbringing in that book, actually, if you're interested in, in more or whoever's listening is interested in more it's really really interesting to hear about how um she had to sort of separate herself from that as well as separate herself from diet culture kind of concurrently at the same time and like the impact of that and how she was able to heal but as a culture like this idea especially as the the whole patriarchal influence of it being that like you know women aren't aren't allowed to like experience pleasure right that like and that comes from like a sexual perspective and it also comes from you know, a food perspective. It's like, we need to be disciplined. We need to be denying ourselves. We need to like sacrifice the things that feel good for us in order to, you know, become more desirable to the opposite, like to the opposite sex. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Oh, it's infuriating. And it's, yeah, it's insidious and it's kind of omnipresent. I was actually just watching a video on TikTok, and it was this, this gentleman who was just going off and speaking all these praises about his wife. And I was so on board. He was highlighting all her accomplishments, what a badass she was in all of these ways. And then he comes to the conclusion and he says a real woman. And I'm like, fuck you. Anytime anyone says that, (laughs) you know, but he was like a real woman is someone who puts everyone else before themselves. That's what makes her so amazing is her compassion. And that she puts me and my kids and blah, blah. And, and then I'm looking through the comment section because immediately I like recoiled and kind of bristled at that. Cause I was like, you were doing, doing so well, you were doing so well until you got to that point. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And then I'm looking at the comments and all the comments are saying like, oh my gosh, protect him at all costs. And we need more men like this and blah, blah, blah. And there was one isolated comment that said, I was totally on board until you got to that, 
kind of self-sacrifice place. And I agree. These are the types of conversations that I think are so important to have because whether we're talking about body image or parenthood or who we are in the workplace, how we are with our friendships, how we are sexually, there is this pervasive message that you are for consumption. So you need to make sure that everybody else is taken care of. You need to be attractive to the quote male gaze. And even, and this is kind of like the perfect example of gaslighting. It's like, even in this perfect, like beautiful TikTok where this man is like gassing up his wife, there's still this awful detrimental message of you are not your own. You need to take care of all these other people before yourself, which is, you know, largely what I talk about all the time. Uh, just, it killed me, but it, it's all, all along these same lines. The whole, like, you know, like superwoman syndrome too, right? Like, it's like, you have to do it all and be it all. And that's what's celebrated. And yeah, I, I remember like seeing someone on social media posted that their wife was like, I don't know, like 40 weeks, like she was basically at her due date and they were like, oh, my wife, I'm so proud. Like she's still working and looking after the kids. And I'm like, why do no. we celebrate this? Like, can we please celebrate like the woman who's laying down and getting people to do stuff for her because like she's ready to give birth any day. Like I, it infuriates me. And I, um, actually, yeah. Like I, I wrote this, this post like many years ago that I still rehash every year because it's so relevant. I was just like, I want to see Superwoman be the one who like asks for help. The one who, you know, like lets, like lets things go. Like the one who doesn't have it all together. The one who like, you know, puts her needs first and things like that. And I feel like it's just, but it's so like, we've internalized sexism so much that that's why you see those comments of everyone saying like, yes, 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 because we've all internalized this. And I think until you like, you know, open your eyes to it and see like what the detrimental effects are of it, you don't, you don't even realize it. And you're, you're often just kind of playing into it because that's how we've been conditioned. And um, it absolutely intersects with the work I do in body image hundred percent. Like I see this over and over because it's just, it's all one and the same because changing your body, you're trying to change how you look is all about sort of trying to live up to somebody else's expectation, trying to sort of, you know, get that badge of honor of like, Oh, you know, like she does it all. She has it all. It's just, it's another sort of box in that list of, you know, societal standards that we're trying to like, you know, live up to, which is completely bullshit and unrealistic. Completely. And then we hold up the very tiny portion of the population who, who is capable of doing that. And then we say, everybody, this is the standard that doesn't cater to all of these different marginalized identities. It doesn't (laughs) cater to life experience and yeah, total bullshit. So I want to twist and kind of focus on a slightly different topic here. And that is just the whole glorification and obsession around health. And this one I find a bit tricky because I think that there are ways in which I do want to be as healthy as I possibly can so that I can feel good moving around. My joints feel good. I have stamina, I have energy, you know, those sorts of things. But I think one of the places we've really gotten it wrong is what health means, what it looks like. And, you know, just the, the more I've learned about 
how BMI was developed and how much bullshit there is around that that was never supposed to be applied to an individual ever. And that we never, you know, just so much stuff that ended up getting promoted through big pharma and through these interest groups who could then have, you know, diet books and things on the market and just how self-serving sort of the health industry is. So do you have any advice for, for folks who are out there trying to decipher, like, I do want to live a long time. I want to meet my grandkids. I want to be able to play with them. I want, I want to be agile as a, you know, 50, 60, 70 plus year old person. Where do you kind of balance that line of like health obsessed and then just kind of honoring health? Yeah. I mean, I, I always encourage people to like unpack what health means to them, you know, cause I think okay. that, that depending on who you ask, like health, there's still a lot of assumptions that health equates to fitness. And I think it's that piece that drives a lot of people into the obsessive area. A lot of people also really fear mortality. And I think that that also drives people into the obsessive area. And I think it can sometimes be a coping mechanism because in a world that feels really kind of chaotic and out of control, we think that by like hyper fixating on our health, we can kind of control our, our destiny and outcome. But when you look at the actual, you know, research, and I'm not one of these researchers, I'm someone who consumes books that have been written by these people. Same. When you look at this stuff, like health is so much of it is outside of our control. So what we eat and how we move our body only accounts for a very small percentage of our overall health outcome. And so our culture makes it out to be this idea that like, it's all about what you eat and how you move your body. When the reality is, is that a lot of it's genetic, a lot of it's environmental, a lot of it's based on the social oppressions that you Mm -hmm hold like the, the the identities that you hold and the oppressions that you experience as a result of that um and we don't talk about that enough as a culture and like certainly not in the health and wellness space um the the effects of weight stigma on health the effects of racism on health um and those two things intersected and everything and all of the other kind of you know social oppressions have such a big influence on how people are treated in the healthcare system how they're treated in general in our society how that impacts their level of stress how that love impacts their level of income and therefore how that impacts their level of health and so i think it's like if we want to be pro health as a society as a culture and even as an individual like we have to blow it way up and stop looking at it just as like these supplements these foods and these exercises Cause that's like, yeah, I mean, I like those things too. I'm not going to lie. And it, we have to understand that like, that's a very privileged way of looking at it, which admittedly, you know, like I hold a lot of privilege in that regard. If we really care about people's health, like we have to look at this broader perspective and we have to look at challenging these things in our culture to make changes for the betterment of everyone. Now, from right. a, like an individual perspective, like you were saying, like you want energy, you want more stamina, like you want to, you know, be able to keep up with like, if, did you say grandkids? If you have grandkids? No, I mean, I'm I, <laughs> hypothetical, <laughs> but <right>? no, <laughs> no. like, where are these grandkids going from? Um, um, but yeah, like, let's just say like someone in general, 
<laughs> keep up with someone else's grandkids. Um, and, but yeah, like that to me is kind of like when I approach it with an individual, I'm like, what, when, you know, what, what do you want for your health? What does it mean to you? And try to get to some intentions that like you mentioned that have nothing to do with the size of your body. And, you know, you can make changes to try to cultivate those things like more energy or more strength or more stamina. And I just encourage people to really um, separate that from this outcome of weight, because yes. the, when weight gets involved in the equation, like if, if we're so hyper-focused on weight as the outcome, that's when things get really tricky. That's when we sort of fall into the obsessive place. That's when we get on the diet cycle with a bit, you know, restrict binge repeat. Um, whereas like, absolutely, I'm all for people, you know, making changes that feel good to them. Let's not forget our mental health <laughs> because I think that yes. that's where sometimes, you know, our obsession with health, health tends to ignore like our overall mental health. We're looking mm -hmm. to these things again, almost like as more of like a coping mechanism to like give us the sense of control versus like, how is this actually making me feel? And so I encourage people to, you know, set some intentions around health that have nothing to do with weight. And then to, you know, just ask yourself, like, how is this aligned to that? You know, like, did I move my body today? Did I feel more energized? Did I feel stronger? Um, or did I push myself too far and I really should have rested, you know, and it's really about approaching it with curiosity and tuning into your body and trusting your body and listening to your body. And I think that the more that we can the more that we can do that, the, the better our health is going to be overall. And I always look at more of like an additive approach versus a reductive approach. Like I think typically we think yes. about health, we like, what do I have to cut out of my diet or how do I have to push myself more versus like, what can I, what can I add? You know, like, can I start adding, you know, more just like say fruits and vegetables or something versus taking other foods away? Or can I add in, you know, just like a 20 minute walk instead of thinking like, okay, I need to go and do this like strength training program five days a week for an hour. You know what I mean? Like to just like right. start really small and start just by adding some small things in and seeing how things feel. And, and just, again, coming back to what you want to get out of it instead of the, the, you know, weight or aesthetic changes that may or may not happen. Cause that's, that's the thing. Like my body doesn't change. doesn't matter what I do. Like, it's just like, this is it. And so the, yeah. the more that I think that we can um, detach ourselves from that, the, the easier it becomes to be able to tend to our health. So it becomes more about like, I want to run this certain amount of distance versus I want to look this specific way, or I want to be able to hang out with my family at Disneyland all day and not be super exhausted. So what do I need to do to fuel my body in such a way that I can do that instead of, I need to look good in these specific pants or fit into a specific size, which is a whole other bullshit piece of oppression that we won't even get into. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like unpacking this idea that you have to be a certain size to be athletic or, or have like more yes. stamina or energy. Like I, I follow so many larger body athletes on social media yes. and like they're way more in shape than like myself, exactly. or, you know, a lot of other people. And I think that it's like, we have to really challenge these, this belief that we've inherited that like in order to be, you know, more 
fit or athletic, you have to look a certain way. Like that's not true in the least. The more that you can sort of see people doing that, the easier it becomes to rewire that belief within yourself. And I think just like not putting a huge expectation on yourself too, like knowing that changes like that take time. Like if you want to run, you know, five miles, I mean, I don't want to run five miles. I know you, I I know you hate running, (laughs) but like, if if, you know what I mean, like, what if there's a zombie apocalypse though, you're going to have to be ready. I I guess they're maybe not because they're pretty slow. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I think might just do myself in and be like, you know what, take me, but maybe start with like one mile. You know what I mean? Like, cause I think that, you know, like you talk a lot about perfectionism and things like that too, but we set our standards too high, even with that, then we're going to feel like there's something wrong with us instead of just, Mm -hmm. you know, set the bar really low, make it ridiculously doable and then start to raise it from there. Beautiful. Well, I so appreciate you taking a break from your rigorous pasta organization to (laughs) chat with me today. Can you tell people where they can find you, where you hang out the most, any freebies you want to promote or anything you've got going on? Sure. So I have a podcast called Eat the Rules. That's uh, the best place to hang out with me. Um, You can also go to my website, which is thebodyimagecoach.com. I have a free 10 day body confidence makeover with 10 steps that you can take right now to feel better in your body. In terms of social media, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as summer in and in. And uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Cool. We'll put all the links of course in the show notes, but I can't thank you enough for just sharing your time and your personal story. And I'm, I'm thinking that so many people are going to be able to relate and Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Well, I will talk to you later, my friend. Yeah. See you later. Have a great day. Rock on. All right. You too. Bye. Well, I'm hoping that you found that conversation helpful. I find that whenever I engage in these conversations, I start to illuminate some of the places that I'm stuck personally, and I'm taking away a huge, huge element that we discussed today about just it's okay if I don't necessarily love, you know, pick the body part, fill in the blank. It's okay. And just fucking acknowledge that and move on. Move on to other things. That's my huge takeaway. I would love to hear from you what really landed or resonated with you, come hang out with me over on Instagram. You can find me pretty much on all social media platforms under the handle Hey Amy Green Smith. Hey Amy Green Smith. That's where you can find me. I would love to hear what resonated for you. And don't forget to hang out next week where I will be digging into some more actionable things that you can do to kind of eliminate the inundation of diet culture that we're surrounded by. What are those tactical things? And we'll also be looking at what to say to people. What are the actual phrases to say to people when they say really dumbass things that are rooted in disordered eating or diet culture or things like that? Hope to see you there and... I think that's everything. We'll see you around these parts next week. Please remember you are enough. Your voice matters. So go out there and speak your bold face truth. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Just one more thing. So these podcasts, it turns out, don't actually rate and review themselves. So I would be over the moon if you would leave a review, rate the show, subscribe and tell anyone you know who needs to start speaking the fuck up for themselves and if you do i will give you a mini pig 
Just kidding, but I will be so very incredibly grateful. Okay, thank you, bye.